this is obvious. This isn't me like trying to be a player or GM. This isn't, this isn't me being messy as the president of the PA. I've been involved in trade rumors my entire career. So I know what it looks like when you're involved. I know what it looks like from the outside. This is a talented team with a lot of players and a lot of pieces who is not playing as well as they should be collectively. Let's just be honest. Like Raptors fans, you probably think the same thing. This isn't me uh, attacking your team or pointing anything out that you guys aren't seeing yourselves. Welcome to the CJ McCollum Show. It is currently Tuesday, January 17th as we record this. I'm sitting across from Izzy Gutierrez as always, and I am in my little hobbit hole, man cave, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and the next time we record a podcast and I am home, I'm speaking this into existence now, my pictures will go from the floor mm. to the wall behind me. Wow, that's right. It's other people's jobs, right? Not your job. You got way too much, way too many things to do to hang up photos. I have too many jobs right now as it is. So I am just focused on winning games, making shots, uh, trending for the right reasons and uh, working for the worldwide leader alongside our players as the PA president. That's enough job for me for now. It is. And we'll get into a little bit later about why Toronto was asking you a bunch of questions. But uh, I wanted we sort of usually start the show with a little Pelicans update. And I mean, update being CJ's still the man and yeah, <laughs> B.I. and Zion are still out. And in January alone, you're averaging 28 points on 49, 50 percent shooting, 46 from three. Uh, just quickly, if you will. While the team is still basically alternating wins and losses while you guys get healthy, how are you feeling right now midseason? You're looking pretty good. I feel a lot better than I did at the beginning of the season when you asked me what can people say about me, and I said they could say I'm shooting like shit. So um, <laughs> much, much better, better rhythm, family's in a better spot, being used to being in New Orleans, kind of got a schedule down, got got our household in order in terms of when baby goes to sleep, when baby's awake, when you play with baby, when you feed baby, when baby eats, all those things. And I'm finally healthy enough to get extra work in um, pre-practice, post-practice. And now we're at the part of the season 44 games in where the load is heavy for everyone, where you're kind of fatigued. I'm sure you're getting writer's fatigue at, uh, from traveling and seeing all these games, trying to figure out what you're going to talk about. Is this team for real? Is this team not for real? Why are these guys hurt? Does that affect this team? All those things that every team is going through right now, we're going through it as players. And I think for me, it's mentally staying focused, physically getting rest days. Like today was a beautiful off day for my family and I, where I could just kind of, I laid outside, first time being outside in 10 days after being on the East Coast, mm. sat in the sun, went to Magazine Street, went and picked up some records for my um, record player. I got a vinyl for Christmas and my wife and I had lunch outside. So it's like, sometimes you just got to escape from yeah. the rigors of the day-to-day. -day. But all in all, I feel great about Body is, is in a really good spot. I'm healthy. We got a tough stretch of 16 games in 29 days, whatever it is. Got some fives and eights coming up. I think we got a six and 10 or a six and 11 coming up with some back-to-backs against good teams at home. And we wrap with a back-to-back a -back where we play home and away in Milwaukee. But all in all, I can't complain trying to win games, trying to help this team and just keep us afloat, um, keep us you know in decent position until the guys get back. Speaking of those guys, Brandon Ingram seems to be sort of taking – a very cautious approach because reportedly he had a setback the first time he was trying to come back from the toe injury. 
And, you know, reports say anywhere between a week or 10 days or anything in that neighborhood, he could see the floor again, which I'm sure would be a welcome uh, addition to you guys. And Zion, if we talk about what that was reported when he initially had the hamstring injury, three weeks to be reevaluated. So we're probably about a week and maybe a little less than a week from that evaluation. And then shortly thereafter, he would probably presumably ramp up and start playing. So you're looking at like the rest of January being very much like still heavy CJ McCollum month. But uh, after that, right before the all-star break, perhaps you might get the reinforcements you need. Absolutely. And I, I joke, that's why they pay me the big bucks, but I think it's important for us as a team to be able to go through these types of moments. Every team goes through injuries and you can see some teams crumble, some teams figure it out and some teams stay afloat. And this has showed that we are a deep team. Najee's been great. Jose's been great. Trey, um, Jax has been in and out of the rotation. Um, we've relied on a lot of different guys to do different things in order to help us win games. And I think this will be pivotal for us once we're whole again. And once we're healthy, all of these minutes guys have played all these different roles. Guys have had to be a part of having to play at Boston against a healthy team, having to play in Cleveland against almost a healthy team. This stuff will, will test us. It'll strengthen us and it'll allow us to execute better. And then when guys aren't playing as many minutes, they'll still be comfortable in big moments. And I think that that'll be extremely important for us. And um, obviously the load is a little heavier on me right now, but at some point everyone comes back and then it's just about us figuring out our chemistry, figuring out ways to continue to bond together and allowing those guys to get back in shape, right? They're going to have to get back in game shape. They're going to have to find their rhythm. And fortunately, we're a deep enough team to where they won't have to play great right away. Obviously, we'll need that greatness to come back when we get into the playoffs or close to it, but they can have a period of time in which they're figuring stuff out and we'll still be able to win games. Well, it's also fun to, while you're in the mud, right, in the difficult parts of the season, to acknowledge the fun parts. And I saw a clip the other day of you uh, basically showing uh, one of the Boston Celtics just how difficult it is to defend you. And it's uh, Grant Williams and... You guys are dancing at the top of the circle and then you eventually lose him. We can watch it while we do this because it's such a great clip. Uh, so you're basically coming down one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, you get a screen from, I think that's Jackson, and you get Grant to switch over on you. And then you start dancing with him in front of you. When, if you, I'm sure you remember it very well. If you remember the clip, like when you got that switch, did you already know what, what you're doing? So it's funny. I'll walk you through the whole place. So, a yes, lot of please. times throughout these games now, there's great defenders guarding me. The defense is loaded towards me. I'm the main focus, and I'm I'm handpicking matchups, similar to what Harden would do, similar to what Jokic would do, similar to what you see in playoffs. You go to the matchup you feel is most favorable or the defender that's not as good as the defender that's guarding you, right? Like, you got to kind of pick your poison. I think in this situation, the Celtics had five players out there who were all fully capable of guarding, including Grant. It's just that I didn't want the other players on me, right? You know what I mean? It was just looking at mm -hmm. them. You know, you had Taylor Brown out there. You had Brogdon. You had White. You had Tatum, who was guarding me a lot of the game, along with Brown. And then you had Grant playing some five. So I thought to myself, well, these guys are all tough to score on. But if I had to pick one person, I would pick him. So at the free throw line, I said, let's go rub Grant Williams here. Let's put Grant in the action. And Grant can hear me saying this. And Grant and I are friends. Grant and I had just met the night before. By the way, you should note that uh, I believe Al Horford was also on the floor. And he so was. you still chose Al Grant Williams over yeah, Al Horford. Yeah. Yeah, this was more of a I, I wanted to see what he was talking about tonight uh, type okay. of a situation. And he said, Is he a talker, Grant? Uh, at times, yeah. At times, yeah. But we're friends, so it was more like, you know I'm a defender, right? Like, you know I play defense, right? And I said, I absolutely do believe that you're a pretty good defender that you play defense, <laughs> but you can 
not guarding me and you're not going to be guarding me tonight. And I said, I don't know what y'all be doing in practice here in Boston. You know what I'm saying? Tatum and, and, and Brown are great. But if you think you can guard them, I don't think you can. But you, you damn sure can't guard me. And I'm about to show you. So we're talking at the free throw line. And he's like, yeah, yeah okay, okay. Yeah, put me in the pick and roll. So I put him in the pick and roll. And he plays great defense to start. I don't know. Like, if you see me coming down in transition, I get the switch and I go left hard. He tries yeah. to put that belly. He puts that belly on me and cuts me off. And then that's when I have to go to counter mode. And this is where, you know, the creativity kind of kicks in. And it's where it's good to have freedom mixed with uh, the ability to to kind of just figure things out. And I step back and then I give him a, another hesitation, left to right crossover. Other, yeah. And he jumped hard on the left yeah. portion of that, which obviously he played it so great the first time. So right there, when you're crossing over and you see him, is that when you know it's a crossover or are you just saying, Hey, this is going to be a crossover no matter what we'll see how he responds. So I snatched it. I just wanted to make him move his hips a little bit because he's strong enough to where if you go one direction and just change, he's going to put that arm bar on you or put that strength on you and he's going to mm -hmm. be able to catch up. So I let him cut me off and I stepped back. And once I created that extra space, he can't put his hand hands on me anymore now i got freedom of choice i can go left i can go right and generally speaking the scouting report is probably saying that i like to go left so that's why when i hesitated i dropped the ball and gave him big shoulders like i was about to go left and i snatched him back right and once i did i knew i was shooting three i was like oh i gotta step back right here because he's gonna close the space like most good defenders do and i got that crossover for space and then the step back for extra space and then from there it's just about making the shot it's just so like as a defender, like you could just watch it and see he's in it. He's in it. As soon as you crossed him over before the step back, as soon as you crossed him over, you see him sort of stand straight up like, damn it. Like that's what seconds like, damn it. He got me. But let me go chase this, you know, contest because I know he's going to step back. And even like you created so much space there. And the last shot you hit, I checked the last shot you hit was also a three. So you you had to be in a groove there for that step back or on a, if you weren't like, let's say you were like, oh, for four on threes, would you have turned that into, hey, oh, I lost and let me just go uh, to the rim here as, as opposed to stepping back. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits. LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 
even if I was 0 for 4, like for instance, I started the Cleveland game 1 for 9, right? So like even if I was 1 for 9, when you get certain matchups and you get space, you got to take advantage because it's hard to get open shots against good defensive teams, right? So you got to be able to create quality looks, whether that's a 3, whether that's off the dribble, whether that's a, a contested midi. You got to be able to create open looks or shots you practice. And that was not only an open look, but it's a shot I practice. So that was going up because I had a switch. I know that if I get past him, the help is coming, right? And they're so athletic. They're so long. They put you in rotation. It makes it tough on the offense. So once I got the switch and I got space, that's a shot I shoot. Six for six from three or 0 for six from three. That's going up because that's a confidence shot where I create space and I can live with the make or miss. And that's regardless of who's in the game, meaning if you've got, you know, lob option left and right, you know, Zion here and, you know, Brandon here, are you thinking, hey, maybe let me go in and, and give it to one of them when the help comes? Or are you always thinking, nope, I'm going to take my shot? It's personnel for sure. In this situation, they weren't out there, but also I had it going so much that it wouldn't matter if Z was out there or if BI is out there. I would have called him in that pick and roll, got the switch and done the same thing. Now, if I was one for nine, I'm probably just running the offense at this point. Like I'll get one in the flow type of thing. Or if I, I need an easy one, I call a play for Z away from the double. Now I get an easy catch and shoot through. I don't have to work as hard. I don't have to take as many dribbles and I'm fresher. But in this situation, I was five for five from three. Like I'm rolling. Like this is where technically speaking, you got a license to shoot a bad one, but I'm just going to continue to try to find good ones throughout so that I can just stack up good plays for momentum, but also for our confidence in offense. Are you not a heat check guy? And if so, I mean, like, what does that take? Six in I'll a row take, before you? I'll, I'll take a heat check. I took one in this game where I was six for six. And I took a transition three where it ricochet. It was a little, it was a little further than I would have liked, but I had great momentum into it. And I shot, and it came off harder than harder than a rock. And I took a, a heat check shot against the Wizards as well. But it was a quality look where I didn't dribble. It was more a transition. Larry dribbled down, pitched it back to me, and I shot it. So I will take heat checks. But the funny part is, even in the Sixers game where I hit 11 threes, I was 11 of 14 or 11 of 15. Like, those were all, like, good looks. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, if I didn't shoot it, it's because I couldn't get a three off. <laughs> was that the game where it was the – transition pull up three at the end or was that a different game that was yeah, that, that was that was the transition three off the steal and beat i played in between i stole that's it right. it's one-on-one -on -one with him on a fast break i'm not i'm not driving and try to lay up on a seven footer so that's just an easy license to pull up that's when i text you i think i called it cold af is what that was but uh <laughs> <laughs> all right so the best part about this video is still i have to ask you after oh well, first of all i'm pretty sure you knew the ball was good you know after it left your hands but what are you saying to Grant after? Because the camera caught a couple of things. And it was even after you were fully back in in you know in defense. I think you're all the way back to the other baseline. You were still saying something to him. I said, I said a lot of things that, you know, probably aren't appropriate for this podcast. But long story short, it's like you got me up. Like if you really thought you was about to guard me tonight, or in general, like you really got me up. Like, and that's what I was telling him. Like, I know we're friends and everything, but not tonight. Not during this game. We can talk about this after the game. I, I jokingly told him, I told JT and JB, I said, you know, when we see you guys in the finals, this is what we're going to do. We're going to find one. Like, you got to find one. So we get to the finals and y'all get to the finals. You got to find the easiest matchups. So I'm just getting them ready for what's going to happen to him in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> Oh, man, I love that. That's going to be a callback if you guys do meet in the finals. Everybody will run that clip right there. Oh, we're doing the yeah. podcast during the finals too, right? We'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so I, I think it's, you know, your team, the way it's sort of constructed, deep, 
And with the injuries, you can't really assess whatever, you know, minor holes might need to be filled in, in trade deadline time. So it feels like to me, you guys are, are going to stand pat <clears throat> given uh, it's probably not a bad thing, given how deep you are. Um, but there are some other teams out there that look like they could have some movement going on. And I think one of the more intriguing teams is the Atlanta Hawks. And there's, you know, a story by Sam Amick in the uh, athletic, which sort of details a lot of their issues. Um, you know, the son of the owner has been basically getting involved in a lot of uh, basketball decisions. It was reported he was the one who say, basically okayed uh, the move for DeJounte Murray this offseason, which was for three draft picks, uh, three first round picks and a pick swap with San Antonio. It seemed like more than people would be willing to pay for him. Uh, but basically, it's just kind of a mess in the front office. You've got Landry Fields now the GM. You've got Travis Schlenk, who was the GM, who's now just an advisor. They seem to just kind of move on from him despite having just uh, extended him last year as a basketball ops guy. I say all that to say it seems kind of messy in Atlanta. And when you hear a report like John Collins, suddenly the asking price for him goes down. That's not something you hear a lot in public where you've got a guy of Collins' caliber uh, who's already trade rumors don't get thrown around that often in public or at least realistic ones. But then you get this coming out. It just seems like there's not a whole lot... to like about what's happening with Atlanta. You throw in the Trey Young situation that happened earlier in the season where you weren't sure if he and his coach, Nate McMillan, are on the same page. I wonder uh, what you think when you see a situation like that um, and, and an organization that doesn't seem to have it all together. And then, you know, what do you think of a player like a John Collins where it seems like people only make assessments of him based on his trade value and people don't actually talk about what he does on the floor? Yeah, I think the Hawks are in an interesting situation. This is me kind of looking from the outside in, obviously taking yeah. a glance at their team, their roster, the way everything has been constructed, but also the volatility volatility that they've kind of faced, right? You talk about movement around the front office, new new people being put in new positions, um, question marks around who's making the decisions. Um, obviously, there were some stories about the actual players throughout the season in which we never really got to the bottom of it because Trey kind of shut it down in the interview. But it's obvious that something is going on within that team. But the, the fact of the matter is that they're very, very talented. They got a lot of players on their team that are helpful and valuable to not only their team, but will be helpful and valuable to other teams. And John Collins is a guy who's explosive. He's athletic. Um, he's having a another another season in which he's showing flashes of just how good he can be. Obviously, not get as many touches as he, as, as he has historically. They trade for DeJounte Murray, so that means the team becomes a little bit more guard dominant where they're running a lot of pick and rolls, shooting a little bit more threes. But the guy's averaging 13 and 8, basically, um, finishing well around the basket, still shooting the ball pretty well from three so you're talking about a guy who's only 25 years old and has showed an ability to play multiple roles so i'm sure they'll figure out you know fit and role and things of that nature but he shoots 50 percent from the field um 80 from the free throw line not as well from three as he has in previous years but he's only taken three attempts per game but i say all this to say the team is talented you know obviously they make the trade they have bogdanovich they have hunter they got uh, the young fella um, out of USC, and they have Capella, and they have Griffin. Griffin's hit multiple game winners this year. They have Holiday, who can shoot the ball well from three. So they have a lot of wing depth. They have some big men who can play different roles, and probably a young big man who could potentially be a starter um, at some point um, uh, as he continues to 
to become more of a pro as he continues to learn more. Kongu, right? Oh, yeah, Kongu. Yeah, you know the, his nickname is Baby Bam. By the yeah. way, <laughs> that's a, that's actually a good nickname for him because he's an athletic. He got a little bit of touch. He's showing a lot, but I like this Atlanta team. I like the roster now in terms of them kind of figuring out what piece they're going to stay, what piece they're going to go. I think that's up, and they kind of got to sort through. And that's something every team has to sort through, right? When you have young talent, you have veteran talent, and you have it all kind of emerging together, you're looking at cap space. You're looking at who you're going to have to pay. You're looking at rotation minutes. Who's playing right now that might not be playing later? Who's not playing as much now that may be playing more later? I think teams are all going through that as they get to the halfway point. And then you start to think about the future of your organization. When you're talking about the trade deadline, you hear people talking about picks being attached to things future picks right like looking at the roster i think every team is kind of going down the path of what are we building for are we building for now are we building for later who's a part of the now and who's a part of the later and i think the Atlanta hawks are in the situation where they're trying to figure those same things out and that's why you're hearing rumors and i think it's this is to be said this is someone who's been in the, in the trade realm of maybe traded eight straight years i know what it's yeah. like when you're hearing rumors there's some truth to the rumors that you're hearing. So when people were hearing rumors about me getting traded all those years, there was some truth to those rumors in terms of teams calling and asking about me in terms of the team I was playing for calling other teams and asking them if they may be interested in my services. That's happening consistently every year. So when you start to hear rumors and you start to hear rumors about prices of players, right? Like mm -hmm. is the buying higher? Is the buying lower? Is, are we selling higher or lower? It's coming from somewhere. It's, coming from somewhere and the chances are if the asking price isn't as high on a player that means they're more likely to be moved in my eyes so it's it's you talked about sort of development with the team you know whether they're part of our future or not and the hawks made a decision when they re-signed john collins to his extension a couple of years ago that he will be part of that future okay and a lot of people are saying well where's the development he hasn't gotten better I, i'm curious like isn't the the organization the team itself largely responsible for their part of that as well because like bam Adebayo, for example got drafted by the heat when his son whiteside was making like about to make a hundred million dollars like he was drafted essentially yeah for the future but as a backup okay and you can't just tell the guy hey get better when the starting spots available it'll be yours you have to help them you have to see what they have and utilize them if not in games at least in practices or somehow to make them get better in those positions and i feel like they haven't asked John Collins to do anything different. And it's just, to me, it would feel pretty boring if I was that guy who's expected to be, to do more. And I can't because you're just giving me the same stand in the corner, rebound and defend responsibilities. <laughs> and so I'm just wondering like where you, how you see that, because again, it's a, I, I used Bam as, as the, or, as the classic example of, you didn't see this out of him when he got drafted, but somebody had to, right. You had to get it out of him. You can't just expect the players to do it all themselves. Yeah. I had this conversation conversation with my accountant um the other day when I was in in Michigan with dinner we talked about the importance of development and we talked about luck right like every team has this idea of what they think is a player's ceiling and what they think is a basement it's up to the player to get there right whether he gets to the basement or gets out of the basement gets closer to the ceiling and it's up to the team to help empower him by empower him I mean putting him in position to succeed surrounding him with the proper resources making sure the roster is constructed a certain type of way in which they can blossom. And I think when all those things align, right, health, team success, roster, playing time, work ethic, mental makeup of a player, when all those things align well, then you get the likes of 
the Bams, you get the John Morants, you get the, you know, in, in smaller doses, right? I'll talk about the Pelicans, right? You get the Jose's and the Trey Murphy's of the world and the Herbs sure. of the world because they want to work hard. They do work hard. The team empowers them. And then the team puts you in position to succeed by surrounding you with the right type of leadership, the right type of veterans, and the right type of young players. When all those things happen, you get jumps in growth. I think for John Collins, and I don't know their situation because I'm not there, I think his role has changed from last year to this year, right? And whether that's because of the team, the organization, the trades that they made or whatever, his role has definitely changed. He's taking two less shots a game. He's not shooting the ball as well from three. Um, he's playing like one more minute a game. But I think when you have a change in the roster, it changes roles. And that's just the way it goes. You you add a, a another guard who's averaging 20 points per game, that's less shots for certain players. And that's less touches for certain players. And that's just the way it works. But I don't necessarily blame the organization. I don't necessarily blame him. I think it's hand in hand to where sure. it's a marriage. When you get drafted to a team or signed by a team, it's a marriage in which the organization needs to hold you accountable. You need to hold them accountable, but you need to be able to work together to get the best out of this situation. And I think in lots of situations throughout the league, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, you can look at my case, for instance, right? Like I play alongside Dan for a very long time and we get what we believe is the best out of the marriage, right? And we get to that point where we feel like, is this the ceiling? Is this ceiling acceptable? Is this what we want? Is this what we would like to see? Or is there more we can attain with a change or a tinker? And is that something we'll be able to attain now or is that long-term? And I think we got to the point where it was like, okay, the mutual decision makes sense. And I think every team gets to that point where they think about that. Are we knocking our head against the wall of what, what our ceiling is? And if so, how do we get better? How do we reset? And most teams are afraid of the reset. So that's the other mm -hmm. thing about it. Yeah, especially when, again, like the Hawks were a little bit ahead of schedule with that conference finals appearance. And it's like, well, will it be a hard reset if you only make it to the first round the next couple of years while you're tinkering? Or will it just be, hey, you improving your team properly but and not being, you know, uh, sort of falling to the pressures of, of outside forces? But while we're sticking with the Hawks here, you mentioned sort of hitting your or, or your guys' ceiling if you're trying to, to max out in Portland. Um, it's very rare you guys or the league has two, you know, potent scorers in the backcourt, right? You and Damian were sort of one of the rare exceptions where it, it seemed to work well uh, mm -hmm. for a while. And so I'm wondering what that was like for you. I'm sure you guys have talked about it or you've talked about it over the years and how that can work out for DeJounte and Trey in, in Atlanta or what has to happen for that to work out. They got to be willing to sacrifice. And I don't just mean shots. I don't just mean scoring. I don't, don't just mean touches. I mean, you got to be willing to look out for not only the other backcourt mate, but the rest of your team. Because a lot of times, dog's going to eat, right? Like, if you put the food out, I don't know if you got animals or not. You got pets. I put my food out. My dog's going to eat when my dog wants to eat. Yeah. I'm always shocked she when I go to somebody's house where the dog <laughs> leaves food. I was like, what? My dog's never left food behind. Sorry. See, <laughs> my dog is, she comes from the shelter, so she leaves food out because she knows it's always going to be there. She picks out in the morning, picks out at midday, picks out at night. That's how it is. The same thing can be said for organization or a team or a roster. The top dogs are going to eat when they feel like it, right? They're not going to always force the action. Like you'll see Brian, how he plays some nights. Some nights he's a little bit more aggressive because he's like, we got we to gotta keep this game close and we need this game. Some nights he's letting everybody else eat because he knows he can go back to that bowl later on in the game. He can go eat when he feels like it. And I think for them, it's about figuring that balance out because Trey's going to be able to eat when he wants and DeJounte's going to be able to eat when he wants. They got to make sure about Donovich. They got to make sure Collins. They got to make sure 
Bam 2.0. <laughs> Miami Heat fans probably not going to like that. They're going to make sure little Bam um, is is getting touches and involved in the game. And I think that's what Dame and I had to learn because I can go get 25 and he can go get 35 and we're going to figure it out. But that's a lot of shots between the two of us. How's our three-man feeling? Is our five still rim running? Is he still screening the same? Like, mm-hmm. probably not, right? So you got to make sure they're involved. And that's what I mean by sacrifice, where you can go get 40 if you're Trey Young. He can go get 40 when he feels like it. He can shoot from the logo. But how is his team going to respond to that if it consistently happens and they're not feeling a part of the offense? When DeJounte's got it going, right? Like, how often does he continue to try to score without assisting on in, in, in encouraging the power of the teammates. And I went through the same thing, like figuring out the balance. And I still go through the same thing, figuring out the balance between when to be aggressive and when to aggressively look to attack, to make a play for somebody else. Because when you have the gift of scoring, it can also be a curse because you can score and score and score. And now you're dominating the ball and no one else is getting touches. People don't feel like they're a part of the offense. And some nights it's cool because you got to do what you got to do to win. But, over and over and over again, it can be a lot for your teammates to handle and withstand. So that's what I mean by sacrifice. Dave and I had to figure that out. And some nights we did well at it and some nights we didn't. But I think the, the thing that cured all things was winning. Your teammates are more willing to sacrifice or to have a lesser role when they're going to win. Because when everybody wins, everybody gets paid. Everybody looks better. Now, when your teammates are having a lesser role, not getting shots, not involved in the offense, and you kind of losing. Now they don't have no stats. They're in contract years. They're not getting paid the same. They're not valued the same. Now they're not happy because they're looking like, I'm about to be a free agent. we losing games. And my numbers is down across the board. Like, it's it's not great for everybody involved. So that's what I mean by sacrifice. They got to figure out not only how to play alongside each other, because that's easy. Like, two guys that can eat are going to go eat. You got to figure out when to make sure you're empowering your teammates as well. And that's an everlasting battle that we all face, including myself. If I could, if I were to guess, I would guess the two guys that would move from Atlanta would be John Collins and probably uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. In fact, no comment. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, no. And it's funny because <laughs> we did the show last week, and I was getting a lot of like requests from Toronto radio, which I normally do gladly. Like actually. Uh, now that I think about it, it's probably my most fun radio segments ever to do is with Toronto Radio. I don't know why. They just seem to like have better conversations up there. But um, I got a bunch of requests from them. I was like, what? Why all of a sudden? And then I read one more. And by the way, if anybody's listening to this, I'm sorry if I didn't get back to you. have been really busy this week. But um, <laughs> I saw one more that specifically said, oh, yeah, we want to have you on the show. And then address CJ's comments about the Raptors. And I was like, CJ's comments about the Raptors? And so I had to like remind myself and I was like, oh, yeah, I said something. You said something to the effect of, you know, rumor has it there might be an unhappy player or something over there. And yeah, there might be some moves which had been reported ad nauseum, like all over the place that week in particular about the Raptors and how some, you know, some people think that uh, t- guys might be moved. So just so, you know, for your mentions, for the ease of your mentions, like. He's not really going ham on your team. And if he says anything, it's probably probably knows more than he's even letting out. So easy on CJ real quick. But uh, <laughs> did crazy. you get much? Did you get much from the Raptors fans? I did. I, I didn't respond yet, but this will be my formal response. There's a tweet and this is from Hoops Hype. So this is bad because I was on Hoops Hype, which means like the rest of the league has seen it. And now right. this is a real discussion. 
I was asked about the Toronto Raptors team. I didn't just bring you guys up, although I have friends on every team throughout the NBA, obviously. Like, I didn't just bring you guys up and say, like, I'm going to talk about the Raptors today. I I was asked about the Raptors, and I spoke candidly about a team in which I only said things that are public knowledge. I didn't say anything about private conversations or anything of that sort. I've only said things that Woj has already talked about. I've already said things that have been said in articles already. I said there's rumblings about certain players on the team not being happy and due to tampering. I can't speak to that, but I think they're going to move someone. This is obvious. This isn't me like trying to be a player a GM. This isn't, this isn't me being messy as the president of the PA. I've been involved in trade rumors my entire career, so I know what it looks like when you're involved. I know what it looks like from the outside. This is a talented team with a lot of players and a lot of pieces who is not playing as well as they should be collectively. Let's just be honest. Like Raptors fans, you probably think the same thing. This isn't me uh, attacking your team or pointing anything out that you guys aren't seeing yourselves. First thing. Second thing is, there's another guy on here that said, this is where new media gets messy. Nothing but respect for NBA players having their off-court platforms, but it just feels weird with something like this. So, sorry for- Let's get into that. <laughs> if it's messy, it's messy for you, right? Because you're like, the one who's still on the court. You got to face your own teams and the opponents. So, has it been? Like, what's the reaction been like? People giving you little digs or whatever? No one cares. Like, players don't care because- they know me, first of all. They know I'm not going to speak on anything that I've heard in private conversation. They know if anybody is is going to be as democratic as possible in this role in these conversations, it's me. I don't speak on anything that involves players. I don't talk negatively about players. I am pro-player through and through because that's, that's my job, my responsibility. Even if I think something, I'm not going to say it. Because my job is to represent the best interests of players. And in this case, this is me speaking about a team in which the people that they watch on TV have already said the things that I'm saying, which is funny. So if they really follow their team, they would know that Woj has already said right. these things. Not to mention, Woj has named specific players. I haven't named any names of players. I've just said in general, something's probably going to happen, mainly because I've been in the NBA. This is my 10th season. and It's like when you, you work for ESPN for well, over 20 years now, right? ESPN, 11 years uh, in the business, 21 years. Yeah. In the business, 21 years. So how much volatility have you seen in your business in which you kind of knew something was going to happen? I mean, all the time, all the time. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So yeah, you get a read for it, and and you know what's happening. And I, I mean, you know, I knew what's happening at rival newspapers, not just my newspaper. So it's it's the same thing. Um, it is 
Yeah, it, it's curious to me when when play when people say that this. First of all, we're not new media because you're new media. I'm old, so this is like middle aged media. This, right. <laughs> this podcast, it's not even new media. But I think think they put a label on it and then create like a problem for everybody based on you know one thing that they've heard. No, like. That's a problem for legacy media too. When you throw out a rumor that might not be, you know, might not be real or something, and then all of a sudden, you know, you create issues there. So it doesn't matter who's saying it. You just got to listen to what you know being said and 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 recognize whether it's what you think or not because you didn't say anything wrong there. Exactly. But, uh, let's talk trash about a player, shall we? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. DeAndre Ayton. It's a, before we get off uh, off trade subject here. That's kind of like another name being bandied about. Like you, there was a lot of discussion about him. In the offseason, whether Phoenix would move or he would sign somewhere else as a restricted free agent, ended up coming back. Um, to me, I'm just curious about the opinion of DeAndre Ayton as a player, because you look at his numbers, even like minutes wise, only playing about 25 a game. If you look at his per 36, you're talking about a guy who can give you 26 and 12 or 21 and 12 even as a big man. And that's something you create if you're a, an NBA team with a you know a decently low usage rate like in the low 20s or what have you so what is it was it the case where he was a great fit for Phoenix but maybe not allowed to be the full player that he can be or is it just hey um sometimes marriages end and you just got to move on I think this is a situation in which it's hard to judge the season for the Phoenix Suns because they've been very injured right like books been out for a while in other lineups CP's out now Aiton, um, sorry, campaign's been out. Um, the shooter has been out for a while. Like they've gone through a lot this season. They've had a lot of losses lately. And in the league, this is a what have you done for me lately league. And since they've been losing a lot lately, things aren't going as projected or as they thought it would go. No Jay Crowder this year. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on with the team. There's a seller of the franchise. Like they had a lot of issues that they, they faced this season. So it's hard to judge the sample size of 39 games he's played when he hasn't played with the guys he's historically played with consistently. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a hard part to kind of judge the sample size because they've been playing a lot of different guys in a lot of different positions. We're playing expanded roles that they probably haven't played before. And you watch, you know, if you're watching the Suns games and you look at a box score and you see Craig, Sarge, Aiton, Bridges, Shamet, you see Lee coming off the bench. You see another Lee coming off the bench, Landale, Isaiah Wright, like, they're playing guys who, you know, Sabin Lee from Vanderbilt. He didn't play a lot last year, right? Mm -hmm. This is his second year in the league, you know, second round pick. They're playing guys in the rotation that haven't played historically for them. Um, and I think that's what makes it hard to judge the sample size. I think Aiton's a, a terrific player. He's skilled. He's got great touch. Some of the best touch I've seen on a big man. He shoots like a seven-footer, eight-footer, nine-footer. He got range all the way out to three-point line. He's athletic. He can block shots. He rebounds, like you said before. Usage isn't very high, but he seems to find a way to get 18 and 10 almost every night. Like That's a solid player in the league who's obviously getting paid well. And role has kind of changed depending on who's in the lineup and who's not. So that's the that's a difficult assessment then for the Suns, for James Jones to have to make, because he's probably got people clamoring or teams clamoring, hey, what's up with Aiton? And he's got to decide, well, is he can he be the best big man he can be play next to Devin Booker? Not CP3, because he's not the answer, you know, 10 years or five years from now, even it's got to be next to Devin. Do you think they've seen enough? Uh, not if you were assessing it, but do you think that's enough time? Hey, you know, we got to the finals last year, you know, decent run. Is it enough time there? And do you think there's like a landing spot, not to pick one, but is there a place for a big to flourish as the, 
number one option these days. You know what I mean? Like a, like a Zion-ish, but like more traditional big, uh, or is it too much of a guards league now? It's definitely a guards league. Um, I'll start by saying that. I mean, maybe it'll evolve when Victor Wimbenyama, uh, hope I said his name right, gets to the league, Perfect. but he still has guard skills. So like, that's what makes it tricky. The Suns situation, and I don't want to speak on other franchises because I don't want them to be mad at me too, but like, it's a tough situation when you go through injuries. Like, We're going through the same thing in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. How do you grade our team? Me, B.I., and Zion have played less than 10 games together, and we're still third in the West. So it's like, what does that mean? Who knows what that means? Like, We have to get more sample size together, more chemistry together, more big moments together, more moments in which we don't rise to the occasion. Like, You need to go through big wins and big losses and see what happens and see how we respond, how we react to it. I think the Suns have gone through some of those together, but this is a point in time in which things aren't going well. They have an injuries and it's hard to really judge that team. Like how do you truly judge a team that's not whole? It's like more, it's even more difficult than your team because they they've sort of seen what it looks like when it's whole and then still have to make that decision, whether that window is closed because, you know, maybe you're not going to get more from Chris Paul than what you got already and you need to sort of get what you can for DeAndre, or if it's like, oh, okay, we can still get very close to that. Let's just see what happens if he's a little bit better. So I think it's even more difficult than you because, you know, with with you guys, there's still that idea of, wow, we haven't even seen what it looks like when we're all together. That's true. I mean, that's a, that's a good point to factor in. I think at the end of the day, you're rolling the dice every time. Every organization is rolling the dice because – each team is an injury away from their season looking completely different. Go down the roster for 30 teams, take off a guy, hamstring growing, make up something, and that team looks completely different. And we've seen yeah. that from the east to the west. Look at Brooklyn right now. They look completely different when KD's not out there. They look completely different when Kyrie's not out there. Look at Milwaukee. They're a different team when they're whole, whole. Right. When Chris Middleton can play in the playoffs, that's a different team. Totally. Now Giannis is hurt. Like everybody's going through it. The Cavs right now, Donovan Mitchell, like Boston, Jalen Brown's out. Like it's it's a part of the game, but it's hard to predict. And that predictor can determine outcomes and how seasons finish every year. Like the Cavs championship runs when K Love got hurt and Kyrie got hurt. Like Yeah. Yeah. People were like the first year when LeBron was doing everything and people were saying, man, he should be finals MVP, even in a loss. Like if they had one of those stars back, you know, who knows? That could have been back-to-back championships for the Cavaliers anyway. Um, And speaking of injuries, I, I, last time I checked the Miami heat had had the second most games missed uh, to injury. And there's just a ton of stats. They've been hurt all year long and they've been in a bunch of close games. You play them tomorrow, uh, which would be Wednesday. So when you listen to this, they just, either coming off of a win or a loss against the Heat. Um, I read some stuff from Bam Adebayo saying it's kind of crazy where last year they're the number one seed and nobody's talking about them. This year, you know, they're not talking about them. They're not being talked about as disappointments, even they're just not being talked about. And it just makes me wonder what sort of the the national perspective is um, on the Heat, but really more so on Jimmy and Bam individually. Because Jimmy, as a superstar, seems to get his flower was only in the postseason, but then the regular season has some sort of weird mix of like random injuries a lot. Uh, and then bam, it's always feels like, Hey, uh, people aren't really going to talk to him as talk to talk him up as a superstar until he gets that offense going. Now he's got his jumper and his little mid range, uh, you know, paint game going. And it seems like, again, nobody discusses them because they're not playing up to their potential. So I'm just wondering what 
you guys think of uh, the Jimmy Butler of a Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat? Personally, I think they're both outstanding in their own right. Like two outstanding players who defend, right? Like they play both sides of the ball. They both got good mid-range shots. They're competitors. They rise to the occasion. Um, it's funny. Jimmy gets talked about a lot in the playoffs because that's when he's really dominant, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but that's when he plays his best basketball at times or the best stretches of basketball on the brightest stage in which everyone's watching. So I think that's why they kind of talk about him in that light. And then I think for, for Bam, like, I think he's consistently good. And like you cover the heat. So you see him all the time. Like he blocks shots. He plays with a motor. He makes their defense go, allow them to switch one through five. Like they're, second best defense in the NBA, right? I think they gave up 108 points per game, which is second to the Cavs, if I'm not mistaken. Like yeah. this is points a- per they've been good all year. They slow the pace down a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of that is to do with those two guys that you talked about because although they do play a slower play slower pace, they switch a lot and they all guard and they all compete and they shoot a lot of threes as a team and they're very well coached. So I think that that allows them to be talked about and at opportune times, especially late in the season, because that's usually when they're playing their best basketball. And that's usually when they're healthy and they've been not a, a team, another team this year, that's not very healthy. So that makes it hard for you to even judge the success and failure of the team because they haven't been whole. What's it like when you play man to man, you play against man defense all the time. And all of a sudden some team throws a zone at you for more than half the game. Cause spoiler alert, he's going to throw a zone at you for more than half the game. <laughs> Well, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, The Blazers ran a zone against us on opening tip and another team we played against did on after the jump ball, which was, you know, that's took me back to like AAU days. Um, Just got to be patient, move the ball around, push and transition and take advantage. But um, I think good teams have good strategies and they figure out how to change the game up. Um, Generally, you get zones out of timeouts. A lot of times you draw something up and you think it's going to be against man and it's in a zone. But um, you just got to be ready to play. And uh, when we had Z healthy, when we had BI healthy, a lot of teams are running zone against us, especially, you know, considering how big our starting unit was. Like, I'm 6'4", and I'm generally the shortest guy out there until we sub with Jose and some of those guys, D. Graham. So we go 6'8", 6'9", 6'9", 6'10", 7 foot. Like, that's a, that's a lot. You know what I – last thing on the heat, not that I said I don't want to be considered a homer here, but – I kind of just came to this conclusion the other day. They remind me of like a European football club, especially now that they've had all the sort of development, developed players that they've just kind of brought up, Max Drusses, or even go back to even the Kendrick Nunns, um, uh, Gabe Vincent. Uh, so there's that sort of unity because they kind of feel like they've been coming up through the minors. And since they've been together, like this sort of core group three or four years now, it feels like, hey, we know what we can do come postseason. We know what Jimmy can do come postseason. We can work on this as like figuring out the little things that we can improve that we're missing, but it could be a different team come postseason. This could be one of those teams that you have that switch, if you will, on and off uh, that they turn on in the playoffs. And that's sort of, if I'm a Heat fan, if I'm a Heat supporter, that's where I'm hanging my hat. It's just like, all right, we know that this isn't what they normally look like, but there is enough reasons to give you a a, a, a enough examples that there's actual reasons as to why they look like that. So just trust what you've seen in the postseason. That's hard. It's hard to really believe. And it's hard to believe in if you're a player, I would imagine, right? Oh, just trust that we can do that again. But that's what this team kind of feels like to me. Yeah, it's tough. But when you have veteran players who've been there before, you know, there's a switch and you hate to have to rely on the switch. 
i.e. like warriors, right? Like everybody says it, they're going to turn it on at some point. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. They're battle tested. And sure enough, they do, right? You hate to rely on it, but you know that it's there. And you know most teams have it, especially the good teams that are veterans with star power. There's a switch in which they go from a level to another level, and most teams can't match it consistently or for as long as they can. That's when you see in a seven-game series where it's like team goes down 2-1, you're like, eh, they'll be all right because they have XYZ. And XYZ, sure enough, does a little bit more than the other team. They're a little bit better, more consistently, and they figure out a way to get out of that series. All right, last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here, because I love the NFL playoffs and everything else, but man, things get buried. If something else happens during an NFL playoff weekend, you never hear it again on Monday. And so John Morant had the most ridiculous dunk that he's had in his career on Saturday night against the Pacers. And like, this is the one where like, it's, you know, they say, you know, put that on a poster. Like this is beyond poster. This is like, put that on a signature shoe put that on a statue maker's to-do list like that. That's exactly what that silhouette should be. And I wanted to like go over this with you and just like look at this play a little bit because it there's a lot to love about it, but there's also like a lot of blame to go around on this one because I think in terms of the defenders, but I wanted to play for it. Just play it and see, like, I know you've seen it, but like when you play it over for the first time, like what do you think when you see it? Well, I'm looking at it now. I'm about to press play. TJ McConnell is very engaged right now like he's he's on the game bridge field house logo sign which means he's probably picking job a little too far is the first thing right. that i noticed right away heels on the three-point line back up back up back up the second part back is back up yeah because he's got that that screen uh, it doesn't look like he can there's no reason especially as high as that screen is being set there's no reason for him to want to go over that like he should even yeah you you're probably right he's guarding him too far up but he's also guarding him wait like that screen and roll action terrible because he should be able to go under that and he's he's in no position to do that here right and this is monday monday night quarterbacking uh if you will you know monday morning quarterbacks here we're not in this situation right now i won't have to guard job for a little while so we can talk about this but, yeah, I would say hails to the three-point line right away. I don't know what the coverage is, but I'm pressing play now, and he flips the screen right away. And then TJ does what most teams teach you to do is get into the ball. He gets into the ball, and Ja takes off. And... Oh, you had that O'Shea Brissett, uh, who is supposed to, you know, I guess they're in drop, and he's supposed to sort of stop that. But look what he does when Ja hits the cross. Like, he jumps to his left. And if you look at the replay that I looked at earlier, like he's got his left foot and like half of his right foot are outside the three-point line. And that's like, that's not only know your personnel, but that's just god-awful defending if you're in drop right there, period, right? Because you're opening up the lane for job. Yeah, and if you're going to be in a drop, up. You want to be in a contain a drop where you contain. Once Ja does the dr- he does the drop dribble where he he throws it to his left hand and, and fakes it, you know, kind of like a hesitation. Once he gets middle, it's game over because he's so fast, he's so athletic. He has the finish, he can pass, he can get in ones. He's got a lot to his game. And he, you know, is one of the rare players in which he's under six three and leads the league or is close to leading the league in points in the paint um per game. Like that's a crazy stat. So I would say, unless you're trapping, he shouldn't split. You should be in a drop. You should be forcing him towards the help. And you should be more in a corral to where, like, you're just kind of staying in front, staying between him and the basket. But 
once he does that drop dribble, it's game over. And then you look at the help, right? You're supposed to be in the help. There's supposed to be two nine. help. When I'm at a still frame <laughs> right now where I've never seen a bigger gap between somebody splitting the, uh, a pick and roll. And then the help is, you know, tied to his man on the opposite side of the rim. Ja has probably never seen a runway that big since like high school. Yeah, and the help gets there late. Is below the help is below the charge circle, which is a sign for disaster. Um, unless you meet the guy outside the charge circle, and in Jaws' case, that might not be enough. But you can't meet him at the rim. He meets him at the rim inside the charge circle, and the in the still frame on when he cocks the ball back is disgusting. Ooh. It is disgusting. That's one of the. This is one of the go that far back. Yeah, the yes. arm goes completely back. He's dunking, still on the way up, falls down, and Stephen Adams is there as always. To catch him. The crazy part is this game is on the road and the fans are going nuts. The bench is going crazy. They're holding each other back. Dylan Brooks is yelling. This is one of the best dunks I've ever seen in my Yo, life. Yo, I didn't even um, notice the Stephen Adams part. And the way you said that, like, they're to catch him, <laughs> like always. I would actually bet that there is a montage, if somebody decided to clip it, of just Stephen Adams just kind of casually catching John Morant or picking him up as he's on the ground because. That moment was just like, first of all, when he sees the runway, you know, he knows, hey, this has to be signature dunk. Like this has to be not regular dunk, not like reverse. What has to be the signature one, the one that everybody is cramming for, because he had the one. I forget who it was over, but he had the one where he missed. Uh, I think it was last year. Kevin Love. Was it Kevin Love? It was Kevin Love. He had a and Kevin Love tweeted out, say, hey, thanks for, for not for not killing me right there. And so you knew that he had to have that signature dunk. So he's he's measuring it up as he's on the runway. And the subtle little catch from Steven Adams, I almost called him Stephen A, which would have been accurate. <laughs> Steven Adams allowing Ja to stay on his feet and give the look back to his bench, the stare down back to his bench is like a subtle moment that you don't even notice, but Props to Steven Adams there for always being there to pick up John Moran. Yeah, that's what teammates are for, man. But that was a vicious, that was a vicious, vicious, vicious dunk. Nasty finish. And then you see Zaire Williams, his teammate, with his hands on his head, like, oh, my goodness, what did I just watch in person? And the video, I don't even know if it does it justice. Like, to see that in person would have been insane. But to watch the video montage over and over again just shows you how athletic he is. And, you know, he's... You know, Stevie, Stevie, Stevie franchise. You can talk about all those different guys. His athleticism is insane. Um, well, Jalen Smith, who is the, the help defender there at the bottom of uh, when he gets dunked on, like initially, I thought when I watched that, oh, he was just doing right by his career, first of all, but because you have to go help his career. Uh, and and for the poster, right? But when you look at it, he actually thought he might affect this like he went up two hands but then he reached over like he was going to get that and i was like oh man uh to be that level of naive because like you, you know <laughs> you know the lebrons of the world are just going to watch that one go and they're not gonna they're not gonna get under there but to think that you could actually have an impact on that dunk it's just man i want to be in that split second in his head because that's a confidence i don't think i'll ever have he's like i gotta get there but i i I've been there where your rotation is late and you're like, oh, I'm a second late. And that second is very costly. And depending on the athlete, either they're either dunking it like that or they're just dunking it regular. And in that case, he jumped straight up. But he was so late on the rotation, it just made it very difficult for him to even get a, a real contest. 
And I'm not going to be one of those old fogies who say he should be in the dunk contest, but damn it, he should be in the dunk contest. All right. Like it used to be a rite of passage. And now it's just like we have to get lucky and hope that the star wants to do it. Come on, man, do it. Uh, if if Stephen Adams were there to pick you up after every dunk, would you do it then, Ja? That's because I'm sure the NBA can make that happen. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, all right, CJ, good luck against the heaters tomorrow. And again, zone defense, prepare for it. I appreciate it. I'll make sure we go we go over that and, and, and try to execute down the stretch of the game.